listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. I put a fair amount of emphasis on the idea of questioning in this practice. It's so much more important to wonder as opposed to know in this work. Deep spiritual work always takes us into this place, regardless of tradition. It's where we don't know. <coughs> Excuse me. Where we don't know that ego is kind of removed from the mix. And in that spaciousness, the minute ego actually moves aside, the view becomes expansive. The orientation that we have becomes expansive. So, one of the questions that I think can be really helpful to ask ourselves, just as we, we meet each day, the minute we wake up, one can ask oneself, what is beauty? What is beauty? And you'll be surprised at how it can show up in the most miraculous ways, unexpected ways, if you open yourself to an answer that comes from your deepest sense of being. What is beauty? Even when it's not uh, pretty, what is beauty? And we can uncover it when we start, even when it's not pretty, what, what, what is beauty? What is beauty? And living very intimately with this question, <clears throat> no matter what the answer is, living intimately with the question puts us in this, in this space where we begin to wonder. And in that wondering, the awareness that comes from that wonder is a space beyond our ego. Of course, ego can jump in, you know, through the window if we're not careful. Uh, the minute it becomes a form of evaluation, the minute it becomes a quantification, qualification, categorization, and so forth, well, beauty is, and then we start going through a checklist or something like that, ego can jump in. But if we just allow the question to allow things to kind of percolate within. It can be really surprising. It can be really surprising what we find. And that surprise, that accident, is what happens when we meditate and make ourselves accident prone. You know the, uh, the, the quote that I've, I've uh, articulated a couple of times that enlightenment is an accident. Meditation makes us accident prone. It's really, I think, a, a great little, little guide for each of us. Become accident prone. Get ready to slip. Get ready to fall down. Get ready not to know. Get ready to wonder. Get ready to be wrong. This can be so hard. I mean, without raising hands, I mean, just think about this. How often 
Is it really important for you to be right? That right there is unenlightenment. That's the ego. To be wrong for the ego means death. So it will fight for its life to be right, to be correct, to be certain. And beauty, I would propose, comes from uncertainty. It comes from actually being comfortable in the chaos. There's a shift that can occur as opposed to being comfortable only when certitude can be had, we become comfortable with uncertainty as an infinite foundation for a house that we are building. Paradoxically, the house has no walls. And this is where language gets in the way. Forgive. I mean, it becomes, the poets usually get closer than what you know, we can do. <clears throat> but we spent a great deal of time last week talking about, you know, the body and our senses and so forth and how we can confuse and indeed conflate the idea of an emotional experience being our heart. And while that may work, that type of, you know, nomenclature, those, those, uh, um, those, those terms may work, you know, in, in this practice, we really try to get away from, from that. We, we look at the mind and then the body. And keeping some attention, always, always, always in the body. Not always being in our heads, but being in our heads and in our bodies allows for us to question from a place that is integrated. I'm going to try to touch on more of this when we get into the talk after our sitting. But for right now, allow this body and this mind to question, what is beauty? Even when it's ugly, what is beauty? That's it. So one way we might be able to look at true beauty is the continual expanse of that which is small in us into that which is infinite. In other words, every move from the small self to the big self shows up as beauty, always, even when it's not pretty. This selflessness, sometimes we call it that, and it's not at the denial of what's going on egoically, it's including what's going on egoically from a much broader perspective. So I'm gonna give you a metaphor I know I'm famous for bad ones, but then this one may really be awful, but just stick with and see how it goes. 
I once had the, um, the view from the mountaintop, so to speak, if we're climbing the mountain of spirit and we're at the summit, the view from the summit might be comparable to comparing our egoic view as a small screen television, perhaps, you know, our, our iPod, watching something on our iPod, okay? That's small self view. Big self view is just turning upwards and looking at the sky. How big is the sky? That's the difference, okay, in our view. Moves from that which is confined and bound towards that which is infinite and always already there and present, no matter how many clouds, no matter how much fog, the infinite nature of sky and the limited nature of what we're holding in our hand, or if you don't like the iPod metaphor, TV screen at home, that difference, the move going from small screen to vastness, always shows up as beauty. It also shows up as generosity and as compassion, tenderness, care, love, always. It cannot help but do that because it is not confined. It is not bound. It is totally undefended. Rather than adhering to anything, it is inclusive of all things. I'll say that one more time. Rather than adhering to something, whether it's the bandwidth or a particular download or a particular channel, It's all inclusive. Any move that goes there, from the small to the big, always shows up as true beauty. I'm reminded right now of Gandhi's quote, true beauty is my aim. And although Gandhi was pretty foxy, you know, he's pretty hot, uh, I think he was after something that went beyond his GQ potential and into something that was radically expansive, radically expansive. This big, big awareness, this big mind. And the cool thing is, it's always here. It's never not been here. It is so simple that to try to put words to it usually confuses. And this is once again why I say that uh, poets are so much closer than those of us that are just kind of yakking on stage, talking about you know how to get there, or what's the best practice, or whatever. You've never not been under the sky. You may have had things that, in essence, are covering the sky, veiling it from your sight, but it's always there. It may be stormy out, but the sky is still there. Similarly, spirit is always already there. Our awareness is always already there. There might be things that obfuscate it and cover it. There might be things that veil it from our sight, but it's always already there. Your awareness right now of what's going on right now in this moment is perfect. That's it. And it never moves. 
It is aware of what moves, but your awareness itself never moves. Just like the present moment never moves. It's always now. Always. Now things within that space of now move. Okay? Things within that now space move. But the now itself never moves. Just like the sky itself never moves. Space itself never moves. We have a felt sense of this experience whenever we really sit still. When we sit still, and some of you may have had little glimpses of this uh, bit of brilliance. As you're sitting, you recognize, without dialoguing about it, that there is no thought going on. That there is total peace within the body and within the mind. And it's, it's an experience. All right? That experience points us to that fundamental reality that stillness is always already here and we spend our lives dancing around it. Okay? Avoiding it. Think about this. Our TV view of things does not want us to be aware that there is more than what's on TV. Just like television itself wants us to stay on particular channels and it wants us to buy particular products, okay? It's the same thing that the ego is doing all the time. It's trying to get higher ratings. <laughs> Just stick with me. <laughs> this will make sense. It's trying to get higher ratings constantly. It's trying to sucker punch us into paying attention to what's on the screen. And there are even demands in our day-to-day -day life where we need to change the channel quickly. You know? I find I do this with news. You know? I used to do it more because now I just kind of forget the networks. But I, I used to, like, go between, you know, CBS, NBC, and ABC when they were all on at 5.30. I'd always be, like, watching... You know, three, and my wife would kind of freak out and pay attention to one thing at a time. I'm like, ah, Zen Master, she's right. But that little screen that wants us to avoid getting to know, getting to become intimate with the sky is always trying to lure us back. It's always trying to keep us right there with teases, with tags, with all sorts of stuff. It uses all these great tricks. But every one of those channels that is being shown, every one of the scripts for every sitcom or every tragedy or every movie of the week that you might be seeing on that small screen is self-authored. And we identify with these stories. We hold on to them so tightly that they create an identity. They create a personality. And that personality is the way we carry ourselves through the world. It's the role that we play. And we start to believe that particular 
reality as being fundamental and core to what we really are. And it's not that it's wrong. I know so many of you and have for so many years and love you dearly. I love your personalities. You know, it's not that the personality is a bad thing. It's just that it perpetually keeps us locked into the small view as opposed to the big view. And that big view has no use for a personality. It has no use for a role. It doesn't care. It doesn't have a preference. So imagine if you were free of that. Imagine if you were free of your own expectations. Imagine if no one was keeping score, especially that deepest part of yourself. Imagine if you could see beyond that mask, if you could actually remove it and recognize that there is infinity there. And that when you stare into the eyes of another, you see infinity there too. This is true beauty. This is peace. This is what allows us to be helpful. The minute we see ourselves in others and others in ourselves, the minute we start recognizing it's all sky, regardless of the weather. That there are TV screens too, and they can be kind of entertaining and fun, and they can help us get through the day. But they're not the whole story. That there's something bigger. Moving into that space of what's bigger is our work. True beauty is our work. <laughs> I find this so uh, inspiring and helpful to recognize that uh, there's more. And it's not something we have to achieve. It's not something we have to conquer. It's just a shift in perspective going from small to big, and then bringing that big back into our day-to-day. -day. That's the work of saints and sages. Any questions? Paul, how are you? You know that state of um, that glimpse state of yeah. stillness mm -hmm. is um, really quite wonderful. Mm -hmm. Why is it so ding-dang hard to stay in it? Because it's you a... You just slip out. Yeah. As soon as you're there and you know it, you're back to ego. Right, right. Because ego... Ego looks at it and says, wow, this is cool. I want more. Okay? And so then ego d jumps into that which is small. It, it, what it tries to do is turn it into a channel on the TV. Right? And so, so what, rather, than, rather than recognizing, re recognizing it and then evaluating it and going, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Or, or worse yet, I did it. 
you know, it's like, it's gone. It's gone. So what, what we practice then is, and often, it often works this way though, not all the time. We practice usually sitting with discomfort. And we recognize after a while, sometimes it takes a long time, other people can work through this really quickly. They practice with discomfort, they sit with discomfort, and it's either emotional or it's physical, or mental or physical. And I equate emotions as being where the mind, where thoughts meet the body, okay? So it's usually either a physical discomfort or it's a mental, emotional discomfort. And they sit with it and the teachers always say, oh, you know, just take five more breaths when you're, you know, in that, when you're at the worst of the worst, take five breaths and then see where you are. And what happens is people start developing this physical equanimity with their practice. Okay, they start becoming stable. Even when it hurts, they still recognize there's a certain steadiness. Just like even when it's not pretty, they start recognizing that there's beauty. Okay? Right? And then what happens is they get to start practicing with pleasure. It usually starts, in other words, as pain. And being able to be still in the middle of pain without flinching. And then the pleasure comes along. These glimpses, instead of just being little glimpses, they become hours or days or weeks long worth of just amazing bliss. But instead of being caught by it, you know, just kind of kicking back and drooling or whatever, what do they do? They start practicing with that beauty that their ego would have them evaluate as beauty or as amazing, awesome, right? And they're still absolutely steady with that, just like they were steady with their pain. And at that point, that equanimity, that peace with whatever is happening, be it pleasurable or painful, begins to kind of resonate. And it's usually at this point that the self itself, the boundaries of ego, begin to become much more porous. And that big sky awareness begins to become much, much more of the orientation as opposed to the little screen. So that's a kind of a, as usual, a long-winded answer for a fairly basic question. But ego's jumping in on it. It's just jumping on it. There it is. Next time it happens. Oh, I do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> but you, but you, just, you know the mechanization now, though. You know how mind wants it. Okay? Let it go. It itself is a trap. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it absolutely is a trap. Now, the bliss itself is not a trap unless the ego grabs for it, unless there's grasping. Let go. Let go of everything. And the universe will provide for you. The, the minute you let go of everything, the universe will, will give you exactly everything that you need for awakening. Maybe not everything you want, but it'll give you everything you need. Is your ego sitting in judgment saying, uh-huh, that was, that was cool or that was really awful? 
the ego is sitting there judging and is the goal then to just sort of look amused and say, hmm, mm -hmm. ego is, is really digging that or ego is really saying that's crummy. Sure, sure. Kind of yeah, yeah. I think that, that any time there's resistance either to what's arising, I don't want that, or I want more of that instead of what I have now. Anytime there's that resistance, ego's in full, full, uh, full, um, is in high gear. Okay? That, <coughs> is that judgment, and is, would it be helpful to the practitioner to see it for what it is, and then find some amusement about it? Ye I think I think that's a great way of putting it. It's recognizing, wow, there's a pull there. Yeah, that that's but it's without without giving it a label. Okay, without giving it a label, allow the experience to explode through you. Just allow it, allow it. And the minute it's you know there's a sense. Uh, just, you, the minute your awareness senses there is either an avoidance coming up or you know a greed response coming up, that awareness of those two moves right there, or even indifference, you know, the awareness of the indifference or the greed or the avoidance, the awareness is free from all of it and is actually coming from the openness. So it's the practice continually of, at ever more, I mean, it gets so subtle, Claire, you know? We always watch, 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 watch for what's happening. We watch for this, and we watch for that. And the watching, okay, the watching itself is free from either moves. The watching is very still. A mirror is always still. No matter what it's reflecting, the mirror itself is always still. Similarly, our awareness can act in exactly the same way. It can just be aware. Participating from that awareness has infinite possibility. There's infinite possibility. Which is exactly why Suzuki Roshi said, in the expert's mind, the possibilities are few. In the beginner's mind, the possibilities are endless. I'm paraphrasing, but it's just a, it's a great way to kind of orient ourselves in this experience. No evaluation. Ooh, I like. Ooh, I don't like. Just, wow. And the giggle happens, you know, as opposed to, wow, this is cool, or this is fun. It's just, wow. Just like instead of, I am sad, it's just am. There's no I, and there's no sad. There's just am. And in the experience of am, sadness arises. Happiness arises. All that stuff arises and falls. It arises and ceases. Birth and death arises and ceases. The being is what is. And miraculously, the verb to be, being, is, that carries this practice. Just be. Not be something. Just be.
experience, unless he sees another dog. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm, you know, I'm more drawn to walks like that as opposed to walking along a, a highway, for example. Like, I feel like I'm becoming more grounded and peaceful, and I, I come back and I'm in a better mood. I mean, at a certain level, we're, you know, we're drawn to certain things, well, partly for survival, right? We find certain things beautiful because they help us survive. Right. And I'm not saying that we should discount beauty. I'm saying we should recognize the beauty that's underneath that which isn't pretty. So, in other words, a beautiful day is basically just an egoic evaluation. Every day is beautiful. Because it's a day. More life. More being. Now, the ego, on the other hand, or the small view, looks at it and says, uh-uh, it's not sunny, it's not clear, I don't have the view, I don't have the, right? It's cold. Or, let's say or it's cold, or it's, it's rainy. It's clear waste dump. I mean, let's, let's update sure. a little bit. Yeah. Beauty underlying, I don't know, that's harder for me. Yeah, it is. It's hard for egos. Yeah. It's very hard for egos because egos, you know, the, and, and that's not to say that like a toxic waste dump it, you know, that we look at that and go, oh, rock on, you know, <laughs> kumbaya, it's beautiful, everything, let's hold hands, you know, it's a blessed earth, you know. Um, yeah, that's something that's out of balance. It's something that's out of balance. But ego wants to go to war with that which is out of balance. So it looks at the toxic waste dump as something to oppose with intense amounts of energy. It creates an entire story around the toxic waste dump that involves irresponsibility, that involves greed, it involves inappropriate distributions of wealth, and it could go on, right? Okay? And it's got this whole story locked into the toxic waste dump. <clears throat> it then can create a position, and from that position, it can launch attacks. And there is no peace there. So, what's the appropriate response to the toxic waste dump? It's not to go to war with it. And it's not to go to war with the people who put it there. Because each of us in this room, no matter how spiritually uh, aware we might think we are, has toxic waste dumps in our lives. And until we can become really clear about the causes and conditions of our own toxic waste dumps, we will project all that we have been running from onto that toxic waste dump and generate less peace, more war. Conversely, if we do actually start looking at our own toxic waste dumps within and we see it mirrored without and we've learned how to cope, deal with, you know, deconstruct and come to terms with the darkness within. The darkness without then is flooded with our light and that's how we solve problems. Historically, that's how it works. And, that, you know, I mean, if you, if you think about the, the, the major figures in history who have done major, moved mountains, it's because they came from that place. Regardless of their tradition, you know, or their, their caste, or whatever. They, they participated from, from a place where it was all beautiful, 
It was all beautiful, even when it wasn't pretty. And they came from that beauty. So a great practice is to, when it's, when it's a kind of weather that you don't like, let's say, and you still have to walk your lab because as a lab owner, I know if you don't give them tons of exercise, they will, they're, you'll go to war. It's grim. <laughs> it's grim, right? Notice the beauty, even when it's cold and windy and wet. Notice how beautiful that is. And that's exactly what I was talking about in relationship to your question. We start developing a steadiness, start recognizing that, my goodness, the evaluation of what is or is not good is all about this thing I've built, this decoration, you know, this personality that I'm working on, this mask. And we start to get behind the mask, we can start to let it go. And we recognize that it's all infinity. It's all spirit. Everything is spirit in action. It can be harder on a visceral level. Like if, you're, oh, yeah. like if there's a noxious noise or, or you know, you're freezing or whatever. That's... Absolutely. Absolutely. And then we begin to, and, and what the practice tells us to do is look very carefully at that. Look very carefully at the avoidance of the shiver. It's like, I don't want to be cold. And it's like, well, that's a useless war to fight because I'm cold. You cannot want to be cold, but no sense in creating a problem out of it. I know I've told you this story, but you, or maybe um, the, the guy who sat next to me in the sashin who uh, was a mouth breather, <laughs> it's like he was eating a banana, open mouth, all like start, 5 a.m. meditation. <laughs> and so for those of you who have heard this, please forgive. Just It was excruciating. Excruciating, because th that's like one thing that disgusts me. Really, that that and large flying insects, uh, and I don't know why. It's just you know, it's part of my mask. Uh, and so this guy w was sitting there making these just horrific guttural sounds and breathing loudly, and you know this type of thing. And I'm sitting right next to him, and it's like, fuck. <laughs> How am I going to deal with this? You know, how, I'm thinking to myself, how many days? And it didn't stop. And I thought about like talking to him about it. I must have gone through six sessions of meditation. I'm thinking, how am I going to approach him? And then I realized he didn't speak English. And so it's like, I'm trapped. I'm totally trapped, which is exactly what a sashin is supposed to do. It traps you. It puts you in just absolute, absolute connection with all your resistances. And this was a huge resistance for me. I either made peace with it or I left the sashin. And there was no way I was going to leave that sashin. I cleared my schedule. I had done, it's like, I'm just going to suck this up. And lo and behold, after day three, it was symphonic. <laughs> I'd made total peace with it. It became beautiful. It became beautiful even though it was ugly. I recognized it didn't become beautiful. It revealed its beauty. I got stuff that I know drives people crazy. I better look at that, you know? And it was this humbling thing. I mean, 
I just, at the end of it, I wanted to just bow with tears in my eyes to this guy. He showed me my crap, all right? And as long as you can see your crap, you know what to let go of. Yeah? So, um, well, yeah. <laughs> Having said that, if you guys ever do a sashin, try to keep your mouths closed. <laughs> just out of compassion, just out of compassion for the person sitting next to you, especially somebody. It's probably yeah. a sashin is a seven-day um, Japanese Zen-style uh, meditation where you you're you're up at 4.30, you're on the cushion at 5, you have two periods of meditation, then you have uh, chanting and so forth, and after that, you uh, do a little bit of cleaning out in the you know, temple guard, all in silence, and then you come back and you have, you have breakfast right there in your, you know, where, you're, where you're sitting in the, in the zendo, and then you do, you do this all day, and you're silent the whole time. And what happens is you go, I mean, it varies for different people, but usually in the first day, it's hard. In day two, it's hell. In day three, you, you're thinking about leaving or just trying to die on your cushion, you know? <laughs> you know, just, you know. And, and then day four, usually something shifts. And out of the, all the sashins I've ever done, I've always had that happen. I've always had something great to practice with. You know, no matter how grounded I have felt walking in, Man, I suddenly have something to, to practice with that I didn't expect. And anyone can do one? Yeah, my recommendation would be that you start slow. You start doing, I mean, they're, they're most likely they're not going to let you in to do a sashin unless you've had some type of, you know, meditation practice, which is why, in, like in this sangha, what we, we recommend is that you do a one day. And if that, you know, if you had some type of connection with that, by all means, do, do a weekend. You know, but you, you go slow. The people that go slow, a little bit here, a little bit here, they always do so much better. It's just remarkable how that your, works. Your retreats are similar to what you're uh, Well, they're only three days instead of seven. And it's, it's, yeah, it's like a sashin light. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you should. You go to Everest, go climb Mount you, Diablo. Yeah, you climb Mount Diablo first, right, before you can climb Everest. It's exactly right. We, well, actually, it'll, we're thinking about it. So, so, yeah. Is is kind of a um, semi-normal precursor to the um, just the awareness going again from Paul's question on the the labeling first, normally, and then you start to see as you you know you're backing up from it that oh there's a that, that label is ego, and then that's ego, and you start to get a little more aware, and then that, where you're, does it just get lighter and lighter, is that, and then you just, I think that's a great, balance there? I think it's a great way to put it, yeah, it's, we, we move further and further away in the audience from the stage, to the point where we really can't hear what's going on, but we also don't care. That doesn't mean that we disconnect from the passions of life. We're not cut off from the neck down at that point. We just have more choices. And our choices almost universally uh, take us into true beauty, 
as I described it, which was from the small stage into space and acting from that place continually allows us to become all that all that we have always been our natural state begins to just shine through and mountains move at that point thanks for coming tonight mm -hmm.